0: Our Bible reading is from Matthew 5, 1 and 2, and 7 to 12. At the end of the reading, I'll say this is the word of the Lord. We are to please respond by saying, thanks be to God. Now when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on a mountainside and sat down. His disciples came to him, and he began to teach them. He said, blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart persecuted the prophets who were before you. This is the word of the Lord.
1: Good morning, everyone. Nice to see us all. And again, a special welcome to anyone who is with us for the first time or you've not been with us in a while. We're so glad to see you. Welcome to City Church. My name is Femi. Um, This morning, I'll be preaching from The passage that was just read, and it's um, the we we began a new series um, just last week. And maybe I should explain it this way. I was just thinking recently about how you know passports are international passports are a very funny thing. The I don't know whether they use how many of us have been to the passport office to renew a passport or something. How how many of us have been there? Yeah, it's a wonderful place. It's a place where the they shaft you for any amount of money that they can get. But they usually do it after they've had their uh, worship service. Have you ever been there? When they, if you go early, I'm telling you, MFM have got nothing on these guys. <laughs> when it comes to praising and praying, those guys are fantastic. But when it comes to also getting, you know, I think what happens is they pray, they believe that God is going to bless them. And you know, um, it's God's responsibility to open a door, but it's man's responsibility to keep it open. So, they come and they try and get everything out of you. But there's a scheme that is going on. Before, you used to have 64 pages, right? 64 pages on, uh, on, your, on your passport. So, you could use it for quite a long time. Now, it's almost mandatory that it's like 32 pages, right? And that's the Nigerian way of just trying to get more money out of people. Well, if you think about the kingdom, um, because the Bible says that if you're part of the kingdom, we are new citizens. So, let's think we have like a passport. Right? And since Nigeria is very good at reducing the number, I want to reduce the number also. So we're reducing it from 32 pages to 14 pages. And our sermon series is basically taking a passport from four, of 14 pages and looking at 14 different characters of what it means to be part of the kingdom. So last week, page one, last week, page one we looked at what, um, what, what were we? The first thing you would identify about them is contrite citizens. Again, we're looking at the Sermon on the Mount. This week, we are on page two. And page two talks about persecuted citizens. Let me start by reading um, a story about Deborah. Uh, It was early morning when the Muslim extremists started burning down houses, shooting and killing people in Deborah's village in northeastern Nigeria. But when Deborah and her husband heard the gunshots, it was too late. We should get out of the house, or they will come and burn us here, Deborah's husband said. Deborah quickly wrapped her baby around her back, and they made their way to the front of the house. As soon as they opened the gate, militants shot Deborah in the arm. Her husband, who was in front of her, was shot in the chest. Deborah fell to the ground and held his hand. That day... Deborah and her baby boy survived. Her husband did not. After my husband died and peace returned to our town, my in-laws began to frustrate my life. Deborah shares that her in-laws wanted her to move out of her house so that they could profit from it. They consistently abused her and told her to leave. Soon, she gave in. And, her, and left her home and rented a house. She was hopeless, alone, filled with grief, and ready to take her own life. You see, the tragedy of this story is the psychological trauma of the possible attack. Coming into your village, and now you start to hear gunshots. In my house, sometimes we have mobile police parading the place, and they shoot. You know, just as a test run for people to know that they are there. And just one shot itself always jokes me. Now imagine when you know you're here, multiple gunshots and these guys aren't trying to ward off people. They're coming for you. The attack itself then happens. Then you are shot. And then right in front of your eyes, your spouse is killed. And you watch him die. What about the aftermath? In the aftermath, you now have to raise a child without the father. You then have to face exploitation by the people who are meant to protect you. You lose your home and everything that you work for. This is why she was hopeless, alone, filled with grief, and suicidal. How is she to respond? Now, she's not alone, as we know. There are countless harrowing stories of families being slaughtered, churches burned down, and whole communities wiped out simply because they are Christians here in Nigeria. In fact, in 2016, not 2018, a lot of things have happened since 2016, but in March 2016, a report came out that said that persecution, killing of Christians in Nigeria, was up by 62% in 2016. How are they to respond? And you know what's so funny is that because, you know, Delmo just read about Christians being persecuted. What's so funny is that Jesus says that Deborah and these people, verse 10, that they are what? They are blessed. He said it eight times. Blessed are these, blessed are these, blessed are these. He gets to the last one and said, well, you know what? If you are being persecuted like Deborah is, guess what? You are also blessed as well. Really? So, in this kind of situation, how is the blessed person meant to react? Well, if you listen to, let's just take the, there's the secular world, but let's just take the Christian world here in Nigeria today. If you listen to certain preachers, you know, when they look at just how harrowing this is, and they have to deal with many people coming to tell them, some of them maybe have experienced something similar, maybe they've had relatives. So, you consider the history, the pain of this thing. And to a large extent, the almost criminal negligence of our federal government today to act in, uh, in quick response, some preachers are advocating some form of retaliation. I remember listening to a very prominent one who said that if a herdsman is found around the church premises, he should have his throat slit. And others advocate, well, not necessarily physical violence, but we as Christians have spiritual power. So on a Sunday morning, Because of the venom and because you think you are a prophet, some say, everyone should stand and they start to pronounce curses upon these people. Now, the question is, should that kind of characteristic be found in our passport? Well, we allow Jesus to answer that question on how we should respond. And we're going to do that by looking at this sermon, as I said, it's called persecuted citizens. We'll look at it under the same three subheadings that we did last week in our previous sermon. So persecuted citizens, their description, their promise, and their example. Their their description, their promise, and their example. So let's go into it. The first one, their description. Now... Some of us will say that we've experienced persecution before, but it's not really persecution until you answer the question, why? You see, sometimes you are persecuted, or so, supposedly you think and uh, you're persecuted not really because, you know, you're being much of a Christian. Actually, you're being much of a jerk. You're persecuted, quote unquote, because you're a loud mouth, because you're obnoxious. No, as some people would say, it's not really because you have haters and haters going to Hate, uh uh-huh, right? No, 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 no. You are just a loud mouth. That's the problem. And you need to shut up, right? Or you didn't do your job very well. That's why you are fired, right? Not because haters are going to hate. Why are people persecuted? The reason, the why, is actually what makes it persecution. Now, if you follow the text in verse 10, Jesus says, blessed are those who are persecuted. Why? Because of righteousness. What is that? Because of righteousness. Well, if you read that in parallel with verse 11, he also says that they do all of these things against you because of me. Because of righteousness, because of me. So righteousness in that sense would be like a Christ-like behavior. So follow closely. Why are people persecuted? Well, those that belong to Christ behave like him. And therefore, those that belong to Christ are treated like him. And his prophets, as we see in verse twelve. Now this is made clear by Jesus himself and other writers in Scripture. Jesus himself in John, 18, 20, uh, John fifteen eighteen to twenty says, "If the world hates you, guess what? Have in mind that they hated me first. If you belong to the world, it will love you as its own. As it is, you do not belong to the world, but I have chosen you out of the world. That is why the world hates you. Remember that I what I told you: a servant is not greater than his master. If they." persecuted me, they will persecute you also. Well, Paul has something to say about that. If you look at 2 Timothy 3, verse 12, in fact, everyone who wants to live a godly life, righteousness, if you want to live a godly life in Christ Jesus, you will be persecuted. Philippians 1, 29, For it had been granted to you on behalf of Christ, not only to believe in him, but to suffer for him. In other words, persecution is part of the package of being a Christian. It's not, it isn't whether you will be persecuted, but when you will be persecuted. And if you've never experienced persecution, you have to ask yourself, have I really been Christ-like, or do I really belong to Christ? It's an honest question to ask. Now, I know what you're going to say. It's true where you live and what you do. Like, we don't live in the northeast. Right? What you do. We are not necessarily frontline missionaries in some of those places. So where you live, what you do, they do play a role in how much and when you get persecuted. But neither are more fundamental to who you are. Jesus does not say you will be persecuted if you live in this place. Or you will be persecuted if you Have this vocation. He says, you will be persecuted, why? Because you belong to me and you behave like me. And that's why it's important to see, in case you are just thinking of persecution, in this physical assault way, look at verse uh, verse 11. It shows you that it's not limited to physical assault, people trying to kill you. Blessed are you when people insult you and persecute you and falsely say all kinds of ego, evil against you because of me. Persecution is not just physical assault, but false testimonies, insults, social marginalization, contract, job, uh, uh, contract losses, and job losses as well. Just this week, someone called me. And the person was faced in a very, very difficult situation. In fact, the person opened up this way and said something like, well, I always say how God has delivered me from different kinds of situations in the business arena. I usually just pray. And when these offers of bribery and all of these things come to me, they just dissipate. But now the person had just gone into partnership with two people, significantly, significant people. That is, what these people were bringing to the business was significant. And all of a sudden, the person was uh, given two forms by these two different people that sh- the person would have had to sign, that would have indicated that the person was lying. I mean, in Nigeria, that thing is what we call in, um, the Latin term for this thing is what we call a pectelo. It's not, you know, in Nigeria, everybody does it. Just sign this thing, you know that. Uh, you this person worked with you for this amount of time, because that person was trying to get another job. Just give a false reference. The person worked with you for three days, but you have to say that the person worked with you for one year. One year, and maybe they're bringing 100 million. And the person called me, and uh, to my own shame, <laughs> because I told the person later, I said, wow, OK, ah, if I'm faced with this. And you know, the person wanted to the person said they wanted to get strength from me because they knew what they had to do. And, you know, we talked, I said a couple of things, and the person had to write to both of them to say, I would love to do, I would love to help you in any way I can, but I cannot do this. And the person sent it. And the person sent me a copy of what they wrote. And the person said, now let us wait to see what happens. You know, sometimes the mistake that we make is to think, God, I have stuck by you. Therefore, because I have stuck by you, I'm not going to lose that contract. Whereas the Bible is saying, precisely because you stuck by me, you will lose that contract. Are you prepared? It says, because you are not of the world, And I have chosen you out of the world. The world hates you. It's precisely because you are righteous. Not because I was righteous, I will be delivered. But because you are righteous, that is why you will be persecuted. So again, I ask, in this situation, in Lagos, and the situation in the Northeast, how are Christians to act? If Christians are people of the blessed kingdom, if they are blessed, what is the blessed reaction? Well... We can sum it up in one sentence. The blessed reaction to persecution is this, and it's always this: making peace by showing mercy from a pure heart. Making peace by showing mercy from a pure heart. Blessed are the peacemakers, verse 9. Notice it doesn't say blessed are the peaceful, like Delmo. And every time I see Delmo, I was like, man, she looks so peaceful. See? Just, there's just something around her. Sometimes I, I want to ask Moses, does she ever get angry? Does she know how to shout? She just looks so peaceful. When I grow up, I want to be like them. But it's not talking about the peaceful. Neither is, not, is it talking about, he didn't say, blessed are the peace wishers. You see, what I've said, those two things, and they're not bad, but those two things are not dynamic. They're not active. In this he says, blessed are the peacemakers, those who make peace. There's an active component to this. Because you are either bringing light or you are bringing heat. You see, followers of the Prince of Peace cannot be part of anything that's making war, even when provoked. You know, sometimes like, ah, I heard a joke about the guy who went somewhere. There was a, uh, somebody was angry with him, a bit of a tussle. And then they slapped him. Pow. The guy took the slap. Okay, yeah, I'm a Christian. So the guy turned the other cheek. That's what Jesus said, Abby. Slapped him again. Pow. Ah, the guy slapped him and Said, okay, there's no problem. And then the next the third, the guy gave him a third slap. Pow! The guy said, Ah, you new Jesus. So pow. <laughs> that is Jesus said twice and he started beating the guy. Ah. Even when provoked. You see, blessed are the peacemakers. It's an identity thing. It is not, I am a peacemaker, given these certain conditions. We cannot be part of something that brings heat into the world, even when the place is combustible. If anything, when the place is combustible, it is for us to go and make peace. How do we demonstrate this in this situation? Well, one way you make peace is by showing mercy. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. You know the funny thing about mercy, to give mercy, is that the person who gives mercy is in a place of power. Because if you're in a place where you can give mercy, guess what? You're in a place where you can withhold mercy, isn't it? You're actually the person who has the power. But Christians by definition, are people who have obtained mercy. When it says blessed are merciful Christians, mercy is all, when it says blessed are the merciful, Christians are the ones who have, you are only a Christian because you've obtained mercy in the past, isn't it? You cannot be a Christian without mercy. That's why it's so funny that the current president of the United States said forgiveness is for weak people. He's a Christian, but he doesn't ask God for forgiveness. Well, that's a contradiction in terms. Christians are people who have obtained mercy before, and so they give mercy. But guess what? They are also looking forward to mercy. If you have not sinned, you make Christ, you make God a liar. But if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us of all unrighteousness. The only reason why we can go to God to ask for mercy every day, like he says in the Lord's Prayer, is because we are already standing in a place of mercy in the past. And so we come to obtain mercy even every day. So if you're someone who has obtained mercy and you're someone who is looking forward to receiving mercy, let me ask you a question. How can you withhold mercy? See, but they, you don't know how much this person has provoked me. No, I don't actually. The one who gives you mercy and who asks you to be merciful, he does. I remember in Charleston. I don't know if you remember what happened in 2015 in Charleston in an African Methodist Episcopal church in Charleston, USA. 2015, a gunman came in, went with his rifle in a place, in a church meeting just like this, and just started shooting people. Can't quite remember how many people he killed, probably about 10 or just more. Horrible. That itself was the biggest news at the time until it was surpassed by another news of what? The people who had lost their family members there, eventually the guy was caught. He wasn't killed. They went, and each one of them spoke to him. And you know what they said? I forgive him. Blessed are the merciful. Now, let me be honest. If I was in Deborah's situation, and then someone came and started throwing these scriptures at me. These things as, they, as, uh, as commands. You better, you know, you better just, this is what Jesus Christ said, you have to show mercy, you have to show mercy. Actually, if you put it to me as command, it will be merciless of you. If it isn't heartfelt. If it's not coming from my heart, and it's just a command, it will be torturous. That is why it says, blessed are the pure in heart. Because when you meet some of these people, and you sit down, and you hear the stories, to say, I think you should have mercy, will make you cringe. That's why the people before the throne of God that have been slaughtered in Revelation, it says that they keep shouting, how long, oh Lord? And today, many people whose communities have just been wiped out, and now they're in IDP camps. I saw them recently in in one IDP uh, IDP camp, the ones in Benway, and they said, we can't even find a place to defecate. We're eating once a day. We're wearing the same clothes we've been wearing for weeks. And you say, have mercy. Have you sat in my seat? Have you worn my own shoes? That is very, very heartless of you. Except that the Lord is saying, you see, this will not happen except it comes from a pure heart. You see, a pure heart is another definition for Christ likeness. The act of peacemaking through the display of mercy should emanate from the same pure heart that produced the righteousness that got us persecuted in the first place. Remember, blessed are uh, those who are persecuted because of me or because of righteousness. They were persecuted because of righteousness, but the righteousness could only come from a pure heart. Why would you undermine the reason why you are persecuted in the first place by going against it? What would make you different? What would make us different? What would make us uniquely belonging to Christ? If we act in the same way that the perpetrators acted towards us. Guys, persecution is part of the deal. It's what we signed up for. And if we know this, and we know we are being persecuted because of Christ, there is a way that sustains us. Except there's another thing that God gives us to sustain us. They are called exceeding great and precious promises. Second point, their promise. I said last week, one of the things you'll notice about the Beatitudes is the structure. And the structure is basically. Description plus promise equals beatitude. Or beatitude equals description plus plus promise. There's a description, blessed are the this. But then there is a for and that's the promise. Now in this final one of the persecution, the final one is just like the first one. What is the promise? The promise is inheriting the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven, and as I explained, that... The way that is structured, that is the first one having that same inheritance as the last one, means that everything in between there is all about the kingdom of heaven. So these people, they look forward to the promise of inheriting the kingdom of heaven. You know, have you ever wondered, I don't know how many of us have read the story of Esau. It's one of the first stories I um, learned uh, growing up as a child. Esau was... Um, one of the children of Isaac, Isaac was the only the, the child of promise of Abraham. And Esau was one of two twins. He was actually the older. Jacob was the younger. And so Esau used to hunt and um, um, he used to hunt. So one day, and Jacob was the domestic boy, Esau was like the man, right? the alpha male. And so one day he went into the field. And he came back. I don't know what happened, but he was so hungry, so hungry. Jacob was a very good cook. And so Jacob had just cooked porridge. And I'm not quite sure what kind of porridge it was. Each time, when I was small, I used to wonder, why was this guy so taken aback by porridge? Because I hated porridge. You know, I was like, what's wrong with this guy? But anyway, let's leave that aside. I guess Jacob's porridge was really, really good. The people that were cooking porridge for me at that time weren't that good. Anyway, but um, I don't know. I still can't, all right, I won't talk about it. But porridge, really, honestly. <laughs> but he eventually, he asked Jacob, give me this porridge. Give me this porridge. Now, the first son had the birthright. That is, he was going to get the greater inheritance. So give me this porridge. And Jacob said, well, you've got to pay for it. Hey, what do I need to pay? Well, give me your birthright. Ah, that's important. But this food is good. This was birthright. I may even die before I get the birthright. Give me this food. And so the guy gave his food. And in that way, he sold his birthright. You know what happened in that place is that, of course, he wasn't going to die if he didn't eat. He wasn't going to die. Usually, I don't know how many people they say that it takes. Is it seven days of no food, probably? before you can actually die, something like that, is is the way the hunger does you. I'm going to die, I'm going to die. Actually, what happened to Esau is that he was more, because he was more aware of his hunger, because he was more aware of his hunger, the gratification of that hunger felt more real, more important to him than the gratification of the birthright. Esau was a prisoner of the feeling of the here and now. And many times, the calls to revenge for the evil that that is done to us is not just violating a biblical command. It's making us prisoners to the here and now. Now, please, I speak as somebody that has not gone through the persecution or has any family member that has gone through it. I know I may sound biased, but I'm telling you what Scripture says, and let's think about it. Now, look at some commands. Again, Romans, for instance, I can read um, uh, Romans um, Chapter 12. Romans chapter 12 says, do not repay anyone evil for evil. That's 17. 19, do not take revenge. 21, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Now, those are the things that he says, do these things now because of a greater promise. But the problem is, when you are faced with a particular pain, ah, I need to extinguish this pain, what you are saying is that, The reality of this pain beats any other kind of reality, even if it is given to me later. But of course, that is crazy. If that was the case, then no woman in this world would ever want to get pregnant. Because anyone that has been pregnant, men uh, men inclusive, because obviously we share in the pregnancy kind of thing. We share in the pain. Just ask any man or woman who have been pregnant. (laughs) (laughs) That's funny. Man, understands, no understands, right? Yeah. I, I don't know why. I, I know I go off on this thing a lot. But you women don't know what it is to be in our shoes. Yes. You don't know. No, baby, it's true. I was there. <laughs> but ask any woman that is pregnant. If the issue was pain, pain, you are going to have pain. Why does she go through the pain? Why does a woman want to get pregnant? It's because there is a joy after that pain that exceeds that pain. The reality of hearing the cry of a child beats the reality of hearing the woman or hearing herself cry. It's about how you see. The problem with saying revenge, bring curses, is that it makes us too worldly. That is, we are too trapped into this world. It's saying that the thing that you currently feel is the most important thing. And God says, no, lift your eyes above. Notice Jesus, how can Jesus, he will be too callous except he was true. He says, rejoice and be glad. How can you tell me to rejoice and be glad with the fact that I just lost my husband? He is not saying rejoice and be glad because you lost your husband. He saying rejoice and be glad. Why? For great is your reward in heaven. Rejoice and be glad because this persecution, not rejoice and be glad for the persecution, but what the persecution is saying about you, and if that thing is true about you, then think about the reward that you have. That's what he says you should rejoice and be glad in. Your eyes must see beyond this world. The problems with reacting this way, reacting this way, is that they don't allow us to have an eternal perspective on life. It says this world is where you can get things, this is where you can make it. The the best feelings you have is in this world. So make sure you do everything to keep those feelings. Anything that comes to attack it, attack them back. But in that case, Paul will not. What will Paul. What would these words with, of Paul mean? 2 Corinthians 14, uh, 4, verse 16 to 18. Therefore we do not lose heart. What? Though, our outward, though outwardly we are wasting away. We, we are wasting away. Paul in 2 Corinthians, go to 10, 11, uh, 12 and 13, he will tell you how many times he was beaten 40 times, save one, how many, time, how many shipwrecks he had, all the different, he was going insane because of how people were killing him. And he can then say, though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. How is it that he's suffering this persecution in the present, on the outside with his body, and he can then say in the present I'm being renewed. Why? Watch. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. It was Paul's sight. What he saw changed his perspective. Verse 18. So we fix our eyes. Not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. Since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. Notice what he says. One, troubles. Two, glory. One, troubles. Two, glory. What is troubles? Troubles, momentary. That's time. Glory, eternal. All time. Troubles, light. That's weight. Glory, weighty. That is why Paul can say we are being renewed day by day. The only way or one of the only ways you are going to sustain persecution is for you to take your eyes off this world and then fix your eyes On the promise that God has given to all those who serve him eternally. What is 200 million naira compared to inheriting the world? You see, Jesus wants us to see a future kingdom of heaven where all persecuted citizens will be. In that kingdom, blessed are the merciful for they will do what? They will be shown mercy. Mercy. The mercy that is, they are shown is not the same mercy you are shown in Christ. But this is the mercy. This mercy is like, is the confirmed license into a consummated kingdom. What do I mean by that? For all of us who have driver's license and went for the driver, driver's license test. Uh, <clears throat> um, so what happens is, after you go, you do the test, you, ha- you write the exams, right? You write the exams. You do the capture. Right? They do the capture. They take you. What happens? Do they give you the license? Huh? They don't give you the license. They tell you to come back in two months. I know some of you, this is story. This is story. It like, hey, really is that how you work. Sir? I didn't know. I got my own. After two days. all right. For the real process, there's two months, but they give you a temporary permit awaiting the license. As we are saved this way, we are in the kingdom by mercy, but there is a kingdom that we are still waiting for that we need mercy to enter. We have a permit now that guarantees that we will get the license. So on the final day, God is still going to show us mercy, but that is on account of the mercy that we had already received before we approached. Do we understand? Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy in that kingdom. But at the same time, blessed are those who are peacemakers, for they will be called the sons of God. In in NIV, uh, they put children of God, but it's actually sons of God. Now, what does this mean? We are already sons of God by faith. Galatians 3 tells us that. And in Galatians 4, we already have the spirit of God, whereby we cry, Abba, Father. Galatians 4 tells us that. So what is it that it means that we'll be sons of God? Well, first of all, understand the difference between the sons and the children. The children, you are born as a child of God. But when you say son of God, he's really talking about a behavior that leads to inheritance. So you behave like God. Let me put it in a negative, right? You ever hear this terrible um, abuse when somebody calls you an SOB? You know what an SOB means? Huh? The people that don't are very, very sanctified. Those that do, yeah. you ha- well, let's have prayers after this uh, service. <laughs> SOB, son of a female dog. That's what it means, right? Right? So, yeah? A female dog. So, uh, Moses, help her translate it. Um, <laughs> so, when somebody calls you an SOB, they are not abusing your mom. You know when Saul so would say uh, uh, to one of his sons, you son of a perverse woman. Actually, he's not really abusing. That's that's the, that was the Jewish kind um, of sob, right? He's not really abusing the mother. the mother. It's actually an abuse of you. He's saying you behave like a female dog. Do you understand? He's not saying you. The, the, I hate you because your mother is terrible. He's using your mother almost as a youth, uh, as a metaphor to be able to leap that abuse on you. You behave as though you are this person, as though you came from, this person gave birth to you. So it's all about behavior. So when he says, Blessed, when he calls us the sons of God, is because we behave like God. At the end of Matthew 5 that we are reading, it then says, be perfect as your heavenly father is what? Perfect. So if we are already the sons of God by faith, and because of his spirit, we are already start acting like his sons, why would he then promise us to be sons. Well, 1 John explains to us. 1 John chapter uh, 3 says, Dear friends, now we are the children of God and what we will be has not yet been made known. Well, Romans eight twenty three. Not only so, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit grown inwardly as we await for our adoption to sonship. Excuse me. Are we not sons of God by faith? Are we not already adopted? Yes. Are we not adopted by the Spirit? Yes. But we are still awaiting another sonship. And Paul then says, as we await adoption to sonship, the redemption of our bodies. In other words, blessed are the peacemakers. They will fully act like God because now, sometimes we act like God, sometimes we don't but now we'll be fully enveloped, we'll be resurrected fully in the image of Jesus Christ. Do we understand that? That's another promise. And yet the greatest promise that you have throughout all of Scripture is also given to us. What is it? Blessed are those who have, uh, blessed are the pure in heart, for they will what? See God. This is called the Visio Dei, or the beatific vision. That 1 John 3 that I, 1 John 3, 2 I read, it then goes on to say this. But when, it's dear difference, we are children of God and what we will be has not yet been made known. But we know that when Christ appears, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. So there's a promise of being like him. But anyone who has this hope in him does what? Purifies himself just as he is what? Pure. Blessed are the the pure in heart for they will see God. When our hearts are fully pure and we are transformed fully in the image of Christ, spirit and body, then in Revelation 22, verse 4, it says, we will see his face. Why did I say it is the greatest promise in all of scripture? You know what? Every single pleasure Every single deliverance, many times, you know, some things, some people see us, you may have a very good job, you may have a good family, but things you can't understand. What people can't really understand what you're going through. There are certain pleasures that you like to experience. You've experienced once, you like to experience again. Let me explain. When we see God, what the Bible promises is that every single pleasure that you have experienced in this world, and the ones you've not experienced multiply them by an infinite degree, that is what we'll see. That is what we we'll would experience. Blessed are the merciful for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the peacemakers for they will be called the sons of God. Blessed are the pure in heart for they will see God. Whenever we say that people should repent, we are trying to rob them of this kind of promise. Or we are saying ignore the words of Jesus And react to your pain. Friends, may the Lord enable us to not be imprisoned by what is temporary and what is light. But may he enable us to behave as crazy people, people of the kingdom, who rejoice and are glad because of the promises. I understand why some of these things come. They want to identify with the people who are being persecuted. And it seems like trying to participate in your pain, the only way I can show that really and feel your pain is to tell you you need to react. You need to react. Guys, there's a better way to react. There's a better way to react and to identify with them. It is taken from one is one word taken from Hebrews 13, verse 3. And it is called remember. Continue to remember those in prison as if you were together with them in prison and those who are mistreated as if you were, you yourselves were suffering. Say remember. remember. The thing that persecuted Christians, physically persecuted Christians need you to do the most is to remember them. The thing that a Lagosian Christian in their job need you to do for them most is to remember. Let me give you four ways we can remember. One, you remember them by encouraging them. You encourage them with the promises I have said. You encourage them with kind words. You have to remind them that they are not forgotten. One of the scandals, I remember this, I knew more about the persecuted church in Nigeria when I was in the UK, for seven years, eight years in the UK, than when I all my life here. Nigerian Christians, especially in the southwest, we just forget. It's until China brings it up. But at that point, thousands have already been slaughtered. And they're like, don't we have brothers here? They need you to call. Say a good word to them. Encourage them with the promises. And don't tell them to then react. Two, pray for them. Pray for them. Ask God for their protection. Paul explicitly asks for this. In uh, one, uh, is it one, uh, two th- uh, one Thessalonians, uh, verse uh, chapter two, ask for God, for healing, like someone like Deborah for instance, she needs emotional healing, so that they don't start to hate and pass on that hatred to their children and tell their children to hate people of this religion, or people of this ethnicity. The reason why some of these things continue, there's a legacy of them, is because this thing is passed on from children to children to children. I can never forget the, the day I was about six or seven years old in Sunday school. We're reading the book of Abraham. And, uh, sorry, the book of Abraham, oh my word. We're reading the story of Abraham, and we got to Ishmael, and the lesson teacher there told me, and you see, Ishmael is the father. You know when he gets to Ishmael, he'll um, it be contentious with the people in Asset, and that's why Muslims are the way they are. First, can I tell you, exegetically, that is wrong. That is just wrong. Two, did you not read the other parts of the Bible? We are not meant to hate Muslims. Amen? Amen. Later, Jesus says, in this chapter 5, love your enemies. So pray for these people. Pray for their protection. Pray for the healing, the emotional healing. Ask God for strength to not retaliate. Constantly pray for them. Four, uh, three, advocacy. Advocacy, please. If you, after you have posted the issue, the reconciliation between Davido and whiskid can you post three things about the persecuted Christians as well? Just saying, hash, hashtag just saying. And I mean this. Now, we say, well, you know, I don't know about it. Excuse me. You can find out there's something called Google. Persecuted Christians in Nigeria. You have many things. I know. Part of the problem is that it doesn't make us feel good, reading about it. It makes us uncomfortable. I don't like pain. Ask my wife. But these are your brothers and your sisters. There's a slaughterhouse going on. And we need to make people aware of it. Speak about it. Use a uh, uh, Read blog post about it. Do something about it. The mere fact that you create awareness does something. Advocate for them. And finally, generosity. Give. Don't just say it is well with you and pray. Give. Let me tell you something. Say, no, no, but I don't have 1,000 It's Okay. Pledge 1,000 hours. Look for one agency. Pledge 1,000 hours every month but 12000 Twelve thousand will feed a particular child probably for about two, three months. You say, eh, but you can't feed him for a year. Ask him what, what he'd rather have, to be fed for two, three months, or not to be fed at all. Don't say, I cannot do anything. So identify with them by EPAG, encouragement, E, P, prayer, A, advocacy, and G, and G generosity. Eventually, Deborah was reached out to by an organization called Open Doors. I mean, us know the Open Doors USA. And eventually they took her in. They gathered a lot of them. They are giving them psychological, mental, emotional help and also trying to retrain them. And now she's better, getting better. And those kinds of organizations only depend on generosity of people. Amen. Finally, the example. Now throughout, we've been referring to the fact, I keep saying, this is Jesus. Jesus said this, Jesus said that. And really, I am saying that with the assumption that if I said Jesus said this, then it should be obeyed. And it's because, you know, Jesus is God. At least that's what Christians say. And we believe that. That's a true Christian confession. If nothing else, do it. Why? Because Jesus said so. But there is more. There is more. You see, later in this book of Matthew, where this Sermon on the Mount um, um, occurs, Jesus gets to Jerusalem, and he pronounces seven woes upon the city. The final woe has to do with something we are talking about. Listen to what it says in verse 34, 23. Therefore, I am sending you, he's talking to Jerusalem, I am sending you prophets and sages and teachers. Some of them you will kill and crucify. Others you will flog in your synagogues and pursue from town to town. And so upon you will come all the righteous blood that has been shed on the earth, from the blood of righteous Abel to the blood of Zechariah, son of Berechiah, whom you murdered, between the temple and the altar. You know what Jesus is saying? I want to say two things I want us to notice. If you read the book of Revelation, one of the things that keeps going on, you, you see this theme as the as as Revelation is progressing. You see this theme of these persecuted Christians asking God, how long? When will you do this thing? When will you do? And they say he gave he told them to be patient. He gave them a robe, he comforted them. And then we see who is behind the whole persecution in a cosmic sense. Yes, people are behind it. But in a cosmic sense, first of all, there is Satan, the dragon. But the dragon gives power to a beast. And that beast is being ridden by a woman, a harlot called Babylon. John, are you following closely? So this is the diabolical thing behind this. And by the time you get to Revelation 16, the Bible says, God remembered Babylon. He said, This Babylon, she has drunk the wine and she has become intoxicated with the blood of the saints. But he said, He remembered her. I can assure you, there is no innocent blood of any Christian. That has been spilled in this world that will not be revenged. You know why Bo- God tells uh, uh, Paul says in Romans twelve, don't overcome, uh, don't um, don't um, repay evil for evil. You know why he says that? He said, leave it to the one who says, vengeance is mine. I will what repay. None of us can ever administer justice, vengeance in a fully righteous way. That's why God takes it away from us but that does not mean that God is not going to bring about justice. When Jesus is pronouncing words on Jerusalem and judges the city in AD 70, he's saying that now your cup is full. And believe me, the Babylon's cup is going to be full. God will judge every persecution of all the saints. In fact, later in Revelation 19, after Babylon has been judged, there is worship to God not because he is loving, not because he is gracious, but because he has administered his righteous judgment. But the second thing is this, blood speaks. You see, it says, notice he says that the righteous blood that has been shed on the earth from who? The blood of the righteous Abel. Abel was the first righteous person to be persecuted. And what I've just described, Abel's blood, we are told, speaks in the book of Hebrews. It speaks, what does it speak for? Because it's innocent blood that is shed, it speaks for justice. It speaks for revenge. But in Hebrews 12, verse 24, we notice something. You see, this Jesus himself, who sent all the prophets, himself became the ultimately persecuted prophet. He was. The Bible says he came to his own, but his own what? Rejected him. He was rejected constantly. He was plotted against until eventually he himself was killed. He himself had his blood spilled. If People say, what has the God of Christians done for the Christians? Excuse me. The The God of the Christians, unlike any other God, came, became a man, and suffered the same fate of every persecuted Christian. One, he identified with them. But two, he died for them. Why would he die for them? Guess what? Because even the persecuted themselves are not without sin. He became this this ultimately persecuted prophet who shed his blood for all his enemies. There was none that was a friend of his. The persecuted and the persecutor all drove him to the cross. And it was on that cross that the writer of Hebrews says, Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. What, was he, what better word was he speaking? Instead of speaking a word of enmity between us and God, he made peace. Instead of speaking a word of, for our condemnation, he caused God to show us mercy. And instead of speaking a word for leaving our hearts darkened, he purified our hearts. How then could the citizens of this kingdom, who believe in him, by following him, then do otherwise? Guys, on the second page of our passport, we are persecuted Christians. But we are persecuted Christians because we belong. We are persecuted citizens because we belong to this king who himself was persecuted. But he did not revile back. He did not revenge. He stayed. And now he has called us to behave like him. Those who belong to Christ are treated like him. And therefore, those that belong to Christ should behave